Welcome to the Splinters Podcast from the team on the bench. Community Radio's leading no-holds-barred Friday night sports show. Available online and replayed on Triple H 100.1 FM. Now, here's your host, the Raging Bull, Anthony Caruso. Hello and welcome to Splinters, the official podcast of the bench on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming live on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au. This is Anthony the Bull Caruso, very excited to be joining you for the first time on Splinters and uh, joining me for this show tonight is the wise one himself, Matt Mears and uh, Matt, thank you for joining once again and um, I'm glad to see you back in the guest chair. Is it, are we, are we, did Keith put you up to this, did he? Hey, is this something that Keith got against me that I have to be a guest on this podcast? I don't know what the Lord, I don't know what you're on about, but the Lord Mayor operates in a very honourable manner, I'll say, here. The Lord Mayor has nothing honourable about him. He is a, <laughs> whatever I could say about him is not fit for podcasting. But it is great to be back on episode three of Splinters. Um, the first two episodes have been a huge success, so... Uh, it's good to see you're joining us, the the Mr. Godfather of the bench yourself, joining us for the first time here on Splinters. But uh, it's going to be a, a, a great thing going forward. We've enjoyed the success that the first two episodes have had already. So looking forward to number three and beyond. Well, let's get into it because this edition is all about wrapping up the 2018 Formula One season. Now, over the weekend, the Formula One season came to its conclusion with the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix at the Yas Marina circuit, um, a season that saw much promise of a genuine championship contest between Lewis Hamilton, Sebastian Vettel, and Daniel Ricciardo. But as we saw throughout the season, it turned to a repeat of last season. Well, unfortunately for Ricciardo, he uh, he, he showed a lot early on. He, he got the win at Monaco. He, uh, he, won a, he won another race as well, but... It was just the DNS, it's just the reliability of that uh, Red Bull tag Hoyer that just couldn't get him across the line. I think he ended up with about eight or nine retirements. Most of his competitors around him maybe only had two or three. And uh, at the end of the day, that what cost him. And that's how he finished so low in the championship. Now, uh, as we know, Lewis Hamilton winning the championship over Sebastian Vettel. And it was really a, it was a two-horse race up until... After they left Europe, after the Italian Grand Prix, it was neck and neck. But just like last year, just as we thought it was going to be a grandstand finish, Sebastian Vettel just absolutely fell apart. Well, I think he fell apart before that because he was well and truly the, the favourite through Europe, coming into Europe at the start of the season. It was Mercedes that were looking behind the eight ball and it was Ferrari that were the, the trendsetters. But as they do, Mercedes, they got better throughout the year and Ferrari couldn't match it. And that was that showed in the title race, whereas Ferrari started well, they probably didn't keep that momentum. They probably didn't keep up with the improvement of the Mercedes. And as you say, in league terms, they peaked at the right time of the season. They were right there at finals time. And, and that's what got Lewis Hamilton across the line. Now, tonight, in this episode, we're going to go through three topics. First off, we'll go through the results. And while we will acknowledge the end results, we want to look at who from outside the top six impressed. It could be a single driver. It could be a team itself. Uh, second, we'll look at how the grid is shaping up for next season, along with the provisional calendar and the rule changes for next year. And to finish off, and this is going to be the big one in particular, we'll talk about the expected changes occurring at the very top, including the expected updated Concord Agreement and how the new owners of Formula One continue to shift the direction that the sport is going. And it is all around that Concord Agreement. For those who don't know, the Concord Agreement is the agreement between the, the teams and the governing body that um, that really shape how the sports run and, and how it's officiated, what sort of specifications are the cars going to use, 
all the all the all the things that make up Formula One. So that's very important for those F1 fans. Maybe even for you, those casual fans that you just think that they they build a car and get out there on a Sunday afternoon. No, it's a lot more complicated than that. With the the billions upon billions of pounds that are spent between all teams, we'll go, we'll use pounds. It is it is based in Britain, so we'll use pounds. But thank that, you, thank you, Bernie Eccleston. <laughs> well, the new owners are still based there, so I can't say much about it. But that's that's what it comes down to. Is it, it's gonna they're trying to shape how the sport will move forward and uh that's a really exciting time because yeah as you mentioned bernie eccleston finally the the power has been wrested away from the one man and it's to the new conglomerate and they've already shown that they've, they've they're starting to look to the future they're looking at new places to race they're looking at different ways of structuring the the grand prix because the tracks are complaining they're not making money and stuff like that so they are listening which is good to see so it'll be really interesting to see what they come out of this concord agreement with. well well, let's get started. Uh, the It's lights out and away we go, as we've been used to hearing over the last couple of years. Go, so. go, go. We need I, a bit of Murray Walker. Where's we, Murray? We need Murray back, don't we? We need Murray back. As well, much as I do, don't, I don't mind the guys from Sky. It's not the same without Murray. Absolutely. Uh, now, look, as we said, it almost felt like this um, 2018, it felt like a carbon copy of 2017. Uh, Ricardo competitive until his power unit started giving up. And then once mm. that started giving up, it always gave up. Hamelin and Vettel got very close together on a number of occasions throughout the season. And certainly, I think some of the race wins were far from surprising, uh, with the majority of changes in race wins were being more to due to mistakes rather than genuine developments in the cars. Yeah, well, that was the thing. That Vettel, got into, Vettel got into his lead in the, in the early part of the championship, and there was that time where you thought that um, it was going to be that they were going to run away, but there was that time of the crossover where it wasn't really that Mercedes beat Vettel and the Ferraris. It was the Ferraris were making those un characteristic mistakes to let the Mercedes through. So that was certainly something that was an, an interesting part of that middle season because, as I said, sometimes it can get a bit monotonous. Last year it did, it was the, the same two cars out front. But this year we did see it mix up a little bit, maybe not due to technical, but to other factors. Well, as we said as we said before, um, Lewis Hamilton's record, especially in the second half of the year, absolutely incredible. He had wins in Azerbaijan, Spain, France, Germany, Hungary, Italy, Singapore, Russia, Japan, Brazil, and Abu Dhabi. Uh, and I think it really did speak, that, that list of wins really did speak to how well balanced that Mercedes was throughout the season. Well, this is certainly the mix of different tracks. You said you've got your big high powered circuits, you've got your, your shorter twisty circuits that are, gonna, are going to suit different cars in different ways. Well, you saw Ricardo win at Monaco, that was pretty much a given because the, the the horsepower didn't come into it and it was all about the cornering speeds which we know the red bulls are, are, are built for so they that was about the only real track that suited them mexico was pretty good until um and, until the again the power unit died on them and it, it, there's not that many tracks that suit the red bull without having a, a mercedes or ferrari engine in there and obviously they're not going to be putting their hands up for mercedes or ferrari to put in a one of their engines into a red bull because they know how good the sash chassis is and they just block them away so they have to do the best with what they got red bull and unfortunately what they got just doesn't suit most of the circuits these days and what was unusual sebastian vettel's wins at australia bahrain canada great britain and belgium a lot of traditional style circuits there well they were they're they they sort of suit that ferrari a bit more it's it's when you get into the the later part of the year and you get those new tracks that have the big long straights and and that that advantage that mercedes particularly at the end of the year when they could turn up that power unit and and really 
really get going down the straights. And just the Ferrari couldn't keep up. It was almost as if the, the focus for Mercedes was more around um, acceleration out of the, the corners itself, where Ferrari had a car that had a very good top speed, um, top speed, but also incredibly stable in those in long sweeping corners, which you do see in a lot of the the later the latter um, the latter rounds have those big corners, which work to their advantage. But I think there may be a little bit of learnings there from Red Bull, where Red Bull's known as the as the best cornering car on the grid. It has the best grip and mechanical grip as well as aerodynamics going through the corners. And I think some of the the Mercedes probably took light of that when they were. I wouldn't say losing the battle, but when they were number two to Ferrari, and once they um, once they sort of got their heads around that, and they could get out of the corner, because probably not a lot of the the pundits out there realise that it's just as important as getting into and through the corner. The way you get out of a corner, because the quicker you can get out of the corner and the quicker you can get the power down, that that equals more top speed down the uh, down the other end of the straight. The other race winners throughout the year, of course, Kimi Raikkonen picking up his one race win in the US, of course. Broke the record for the longest period between race wins. Yes, big big effort there from Kimi. And Max Verstappen with his two wins in Austria and Mexico. But uh, of course, the news coming through uh, this morning that he is uh, he could be on for some disciplinary charges from uh, Formula One management over a certain threat he made to um, to Ocon last week. That came through, but um, this is next Tuesday. Remember? Yeah, but. Uh... <laughs> But yeah, as I said, it's just he, he sort of claims and he get he climbs that ladder a bit, but then his his immaturity shows. He's still a young man, and whereas Red Bull think that he is the man to take it for, and he probably is. He's still got a lot of growing to do, and he's he's in a spot that a man his age has not been in for a long, long time in this sport. Absolutely. Well, let's we've got um, three questions I'm going to pose to the wise man, and he's probably the best person suited suited to take these kinds of questions. So. Talk question number one for you. Did did Hamilton win the twenty eighteen championship or did Vettel lose it? Oh if if the if the championship finished at the end of the European season, I would say that Vettel lost it lost it. But if you obviously we go all the way through to Abu Dhabi, the the um the last weekend and the, the round there, I just think at the back end of the season Mercedes were too good. They timed their run well, they they got their upgrades through, the packages went well and they won at the right time of the year, whereas Ferrari they they, bang, they came out of the box. They really showed that they were at a race. And it was exciting for us F1 fans at the start of the year because they looked really competitive. And you thought, well, here we go. We're going to have a cracking season. And they did. They got off to a great start. Mercedes had to fight from behind. But they did fight from behind. And that, I think at the end of the day, they were the rightful they were the rightful champions. Question number two for you. How much did the Volkswagen emission scandal cripple Red Bull Racing? Yeah, well, obviously, uh, it, all the deals going on behind the scenes with um, with, with Volkswagen and, and all that sort of stuff, it, it's a distraction because it's time that people are spending on these things that they really don't have. If it was going to be leading somewhere and, and it, it meant speed down the line and new things into the sport, then fair enough, then it's time well spent. But when you get through these, when you get through these negotiations, when you get through all this stuff, and then at the last minute, because of what's going on um, in the real world, so to speak, outside of F1, cancel what out what's happening in the F1 world and it's just, it's just a distraction that they couldn't afford. And when you consider as well that someone like Volkswagen would be able to throw all sorts of resources in it, and especially with the backing of someone like Audi, to be well, able exactly. to do that. Well, exactly. As I said, with Volkswagen, one of the, the many different brands, they probably wouldn't have branded it a Volkswagen. They said Audi, 
Lamborghini, I think you're even under that. They've done that, as and well. they've done that before with Lamborghini. Yeah. Of course. So that's what I mean, like that Volkswagen. When you say Volkswagen, I think everyone's thinking of a little Volkswagen Bug or one of those two rags or do rags or whatever they're called. But Volkswagen own a many different number of car brands. So I would assume that they're probably using one of their more upmarket luxury brands to 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 go on the Red Bull. But uh, at the end of the day, it just wasn't wasn't to be, and where it would probably be a great partnership, and they could have that um, they could have that alliance, and they'd have that technical um, behind them. It wasn't to be, and Red Bull have made their uh, bed with Honda now, and that's going to be interesting to see how that goes in twenty nineteen. Well, speaking of speaking partially of Honda, but more generally, can Formula One continue to function with only four engine suppliers? Well, it, it's going to be the haves and the have-nots now, isn't it? Because even the team at the back of the grid that, that have a Mercedes engine that as much as they'll say yeah they're, they're getting these spec engines they're not they're not getting the stuff that the, the works teams the Mercedes and Ferrari teams are using there's no there's no way in this wide world would they be giving them the the same equipment that they that they're using so until until there's some parity there I, I think they'd be better off with one engine they'd be better off with a standard engine like this just like we've got control tires, we've got control everything. You look at the V8 supercars, half the car is a control thing that everybody has to use. And then just the outside is prettied up with whatever brand. There's a lot of one make series. I think, I think, um, but IndyCar use a lot of the same stuff as well. And you well, see how for, close they went for a couple of years using every engine being a Cosworth engine. Yeah. And, and you see how close the racing is. It, it comes down to the drivers. It comes down to the little things that teams can do rather than we've got this one big engine that beats, that can beat anything else out there. We just bolt that on and it doesn't matter. I could be driving the thing and could probably win a Grand Prix. But I think at the end of the day, maybe that's, I don't think that's going to be a, a viable option going forward they want as many manufacturers involved they want as much dollars coming in because the more manufacturers that are involved in the sport the more dollars that are going to be coming into the sport so control it's not going to happen tires is a different story because obviously there's only so many tires to go around but unfortunately with engines while they want the manufacturers to be involved in the sport this it's going to be a free-for-all well from that we go to planning for 2019 because anyone who thinks it's an, it is an off-season for formula one is seriously mistaken as oh. soon as the first season as soon as the last race is over it's planning straight into next year in fact mm -hmm. in fact i imagine some of the engineers the aerodynamicists and the legal team they're probably already going through the regulation changes for next year to work out what how they're going to design their car and also get the most of their power out of their power units in their aerodynamics oh, i think they would have i think most teams would have started as soon as they realized that they weren't going to be much more competitive in 2018 as there's always going to be the guys back at the factories that are going to be working on this that and the other getting ready for the next season because as soon as you hit testing in february or even january i think they, they they start in spain you need to hit the ground running we saw that probably the best example is braun back in 2009 if i remember rightly when they came on the scene and from the old honda team and they came out of the box and they shocked it they shocked the world with how um with how fast they were off the bat that's what teams need to be striving for these days they need to be coming fast out of the bat right out of the box in that pre-season testing to show that they can hang with the big boys but unfortunately at the moment there's only the big three and next year may even be the big two with the unknown in, of the honda in the red bull well let's see how we go let's see how it goes with it so let's start off with the driver changes for, for next year and let me get your thoughts on on these ones here first off um, Sauber and Ferrari, of course, announced during the year that they will be swapping drivers. Kimi Raikkonen, he's going home. He's going back to Sauber where he first started. 
But in his place will be Ferrari Academy driver Charles Leclerc. Um, he's been driving at Sauber, and I have to say, he's been rather impressive. Oh, he has. He was certainly impressive in Abu Dhabi, wasn't he, being up there? And he looked like he belonged in that top six when he was up there driving with those guys uh, in the in in parts of the race. And I think this is a good move. I think Ferrari and Sauber can could work a lot well together like, like Red Bull and Toro Rosso do. They can have that pathway. They can have those guys coming through. They can get them seat time in F1 before they bring them up to that Ferrari system. And what better person to get that sort of started is, is someone like Kimi Raikkonen. The, the amount of experience that he has and just the, the weather, all the, the situations that he's been in, he can easily go down there and... and and, and just impart his knowledge on whoever the second driver is, even just working with the team and, and the experience he can do on them. And he just brings that link between Ferrari and Sauber closer together. So I think it's great. I think you're going to see a marked improvement from Sauber. And anytime these guys from down the grid can uh, can make their way up, I think it's a good thing for the sport. And, and I think we have to acknowledge as well that this is going to be a very different Kimi Raikkonen from early on in his career. Of course, we've seen, um, I think, to a large extent, a, a very much a personality change within himself. It's no longer is this the, uh, as, as some people have said, the heir to James Hunt. He is he's very much sort of matured and grown into his role as one of the senior drivers on the grid now. Well, he certainly has. He's still not a good interview unless, unless he really wants fin, to be there. How many Finns are actually genuinely good interviewers? Oh, too, oh yeah, true. But interviewees, I should say. Interviewees. But yeah, he's, an, he's an interesting one, old uh, Kimmy. But as I said, that, that that's his personality and, and it brings something different to the sport. Now, the next one, Haas Ferrari. Uh, they've announced no change. They'll retain uh, Roman Grosjean and and Kevin Magnussen, especially what turned into a very solid season for the American base team. Well, they're, they're one of the they're, they're the newest team into the into the F one, and they've been around for a couple of seasons, and it, it, they're just on their path. I think they just need more experience at this level, and um, Ferrari as well. Uh, that that's also a, an interesting relationship there. Whether they can build on that as well, whether they can whether they're probably not going to be a, a team like Sauber have the relationship with, especially with Kimi going back there. But the more of the technical alliance. Within the rules, obviously, it's it's not it's not a free for all of just being able to take all their equipment, but they're they're only a, a short way into their journey. So as I said they the tracks that suit them, they they race well. So they just need to get more experience in the European form of um, of racing. And of course, as we know, Haas Racing has been um, very successful, as we know, in IndyCar. Yeah, uh, they, they've tra they're transitioning. Fairly smoothly into Formula One at the moment. Well, they, they, they do Indy, they do IndyCar, they do NASCAR, they they do a, a lot of the big American ones. They're they're up there with the Penskes and the Andrettis, and um, they they've got that experience. So at the end of the day, it's still motor racing, and it's different regulations, yeah, different challenges. But at the end of the day, it's motor racing, and they're very experienced with motor racing. Now let's start the merry-go-round. So oh, no, this is go. this is going to be fun. This so. Um, of course, there is never a Formula One season that goes by without some sort of merry-go-round for uh, for drivers. So, wind it up. Here it goes. McLaren Renault will enter a brand new lineup for this season. One is a promotion of their reserve driver Lando Norris into a full-time position. Yeah. Uh, now, the other is a chain reaction following the announcement of the retirement of Fernando Alonso. We we saw this coming. Well, he's got other opportunities. He's going to be racing the Indy 500. He'll be doing other things as well. Sports, I, I, wouldn't I be, think sports cars as well. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Well, he drove the NASCAR. He drove Jimmy John Johnson's NASCAR even um, in a test after the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. So who knows? You could see him try and do the double on uh, on Indy Day and go do the Coca-Cola 600 down at Daytona. Who knows? 
Carlos Sainz Jr. will replace Alonso at McLaren with his seat at Renault, now taken by Daniel Ricciardo. Let's start off with Carlos Sainz Jr. I think solid without being overly uh, mm. impressive, but I think for what it's worth, he could be uh, he could grow into that um, into that seat at McLaren. Well, he's going to have to, and and being he'll be the undoubted number one driver there with uh, with Lando Norris coming up, very much the junior driver. So he's going to be able to grow, and he's going to be able to have the resources behind him. I said again, it comes to how good that Renault engine can be for them. We know what McLaren can do with the chassis, but at the end of the day, they had the same sort of problems that Red Bull did with that Renault engine. Now, speaking of Daniel Ricciardo, of course, he's off to Renault. Um, the works, this is the works team we should point out he's at. Mm. Now his vacant seat at, um, at Red Bull will be taken by Pierre Gasly, who gets a promotion from Toro Rosso. Now at this stage, that seat at Toro Rosso is vacant alongside, um, their current driver, Daniel Kvyat. So who's in lineup for the seat? I've got five drivers here. I'm going to get the wise one to give us his opinion on these. First off, Brendan Hartley. He won't be back because they've already announced it, but yeah. He won't be back. Well, we, at the at the time when we were looking through this, I think it was 50-50 at best, but over the weekend, I think he, over the week, he's announced that he's not Well, there, 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 there is big rumours, and we'll get to him, I'm sure. Yeah. Pascal Verline. No. Won't happen. Now, he's rumoured to be off to Formula E. Well, that, that seems to be now the, 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 the happy honey ground for Formula 1 drivers when they can't get a, a gig. That's where they're off to, and, and, I, don't, and I don't think that he'll be the same. Um, Alexander Albon, uh, who's um, rumoured to be going to Nissan in Formula E, but he's not out of the, the picture yet. No, nah, this is this is the guy. This is the guy. Alexander Albon. He is the guy. Yes. Your, he's your pick. He's right. my pick. That's what my rumour mill tells me. He's the pick. So the other ones that were mentioned were Sebastian Buemi, but he's expected to re-sign with Nissan in Formula E. Yeah, he's got that good gig there. Or... There is the bolter. There is the absolute yeah. bolter, and what a name to bring up. He is the right now the reigning reigning European Formula Three champion, Mick Schumacher. No, not quite yet. I don't think he's ready yet. Get him in. Get him into Formula Two. Get him into. Get him into the the support categories on the F one circuit. Let him. Let everybody have a look at him every weekend. Obviously, he's going to have the talent of his dad. We've we've seen it. We've seen him win the. The European Formula Three. We know he's got talent, but again, he ne he needs to drive some stuff similar to the F one. He needs to work his way up those support categories before he gets a chance. There's a lot of raw talent in there. People are already talking. Is. People talking about it already. Of course, there's of course there's raw talent in there. I'm not denying that at all. He will make F one, but just not in 2019. Is if if not Alexander Albon, who would you be thinking could fit into that that vacancy at Toro Rosso? If it, I I think it'd be him. If not. They'll keep Hartley. They've invested the time in him, and there's been that many other changes within the team that they'll they'll want to have some sort of consistency there. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I think that's uh, that's half time on splinters for this uh, this episode here. But when we come back, we will now go. We'll then go through the rest of the changes, and then go through some of the other talking points in regards to the Concord Agreement. This is Splinters here on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming live on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au. And don't forget that you can uh, also get us on podcast.com and we'll also we also post it up on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash thebenchhhh. So you can get your daily, you can get your weekly fix without having to listen to Triple H, but we, we do hope that you do.
Welcome back to Splinters on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming live on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au. You're listening here to the Raging Bull, Anthony Caruso with the wise one, Matt Mears, and we're talking all things Formula One, wrapping up the season. And don't forget, we're also on podcast.com. You can uh, you can subscribe there every week and get, our, get Splinters uh, there every week for you. Check out our Facebook page, facebook.com dash the bench, HHH, for more info on that. I'm currently picking those splinters out at the moment. I've been sitting on it for that long. Oh, so, here we go. Oh, that, that's terrible, isn't it? That's the, that's the kind of dad joke you'd be expecting these days. Um, you've been you've been off the show for too long. We need to we need to get you back in the studio to uh, to get rid of this uh, get rid of the rust off you. The um the problem is, is that there hasn't been a lot for me to actually rage on about, is there? You're too old now. Like this is not the Caruso that we know from back in the day. That that any little thing could trigger him off. Being a dad sort of uh, cooled you off. It's calmed you down, and we don't see the old raging bull anymore. Uh-huh. It's it's I don't know what we'll, we'll, we'll think of something and before the next show, but uh, it's not the raging bull anymore. It's the calm bull. Well, unless unless you're a uh, some random person decides to walk in front of the sight screen while I'm coming into bowl. I, I heard that. about that. That was funny. <laughs> everything get everything gets around Caruso. I know. Here. I know. So um, anyway, at the moment we're talking about the changes for the 2019 season. We just spoke about the merry-go-round that's happening between. Um, McLaren, Renault, Renault Works team, Red Bull, and Toro Rosso um, should be fascinating to see what they announced for that um, that second seat at Toro Rosso. But uh, going through the rest of the driver changes at this stage, AMG Mercedes no change. Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas in the they're, lineup. They're the champions. Why would you change it? Red Bull Racing Honda, Max Verstappen confirmed in the number one seat. Now, as we mentioned before, he'll be teamed up with Pierre Gasly. Your thoughts on Pierre Gasly getting a promotion? Well, he was obviously the, the number one out of him and, and um, Hartley in the in the Toro Rosso. He showed that he deserved the, the seat in the senior team. He was the one who was able to take the same equipment and he was able to get those top 10 finishes. He, was show, he showed maturity. Whereas Hartley probably would claim that he had a lot of bad luck in uh, in where he finished within the season, I think sometimes you got to make your own luck, and Pierre Gasly certainly did that, and he'll look good in the Red Bull next year. Now we go to the Works Renault team. Nico Hulkenberg will be has been confirmed as the number two driver, but uh, of course the the big news at the end of the season, Daniel Ricciardo off to Renault. It can either be the best move in the world, or it could be Damon Hill going to Arrows. It is I, I can see that Daniel Ricciardo saw the writing on the wall at Red Bull. He was going to end up in the in the Mark Webber seat to Max Verstappen's um, Vettel. Vettel. That that was what was going to happen there. He's shown it now, and he was the senior guy. But they were who that he Verstappen was who they were setting up for. He was going to be the driver to take them forward. Whereas, of course, they would respect what Ricardo did for them in the same way that they respect what Webber did for them. He wasn't going to be the guy. I think with Renault. He can be the guy there. Obviously, Renault's a bit more of a known quantity going into this season. The, the Honda's a bit unknown and, and untested in that Red Bull, so it'll be interesting to see how they go at the start of the year. So, And obviously, I've heard a few interviews with the Red with the Renault team, and they've said that there is some big things that they've been able to promise Dan Ricciardo with the way they're going to do business and the, thing, and the changes that they're going to make coming into 2019. So it's going to be interesting to see how much they can deliver on their promises and how much we see Ricardo up the year, up the up the ladder this year in the in the Renault from where they are from where they are in 2018 as a fan and as a fan and an Aussie fan and a fan of Ricardo 
I hope we do see the Renault up the up the order because a it's another team in the mix. We're not going to have the same three teams in the top six spots anymore. But obviously, being Aussies, we like to see Ricardo at the at the pointy end. How many years do you give him at Renault? Well, it depends what seats become available. I said if 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 um, Bottas goes at Mercedes and something happens and they throw something his way, he's silly not to go. But to be fair, if, if Renault become more competitive and they can get him up the grid. There's no real reason that he needs to move in the next couple of years if they if they if they in a upward spiral. But as I said, if a if a Mercedes or something or a Ferrari seat come available, he's stupid not to go. Salva Ferrari, or should we say Salva Alfa Romeo? Uh, a new look lineup, as we mentioned before, Kimi Raikkonen returning to his original team. He'll take up the number one seat. The big announcement is that um, the second drive will be Antonio Giovinazzi. Uh, with Marcus Ericsson to stay on as the third driver and brand ambassador. But he's also taken up a position with IndyCar next year. Some big changes at South Ferrari for Romeo. Well, they, they're getting closer with the Ferrari team and um, having uh, having uh, Raikkonen there is obviously a, a Ferrari call and, and having Antonio come in being a, a Ferrari um, junior driver as well. You can see what they're setting up to. They can sit, they, they, they want to become that junior team. And for Salva to be competitive and to stay in the game, it's probably the best thing for them. And what's fascinating, one of the fascinating things to come out of this, and a lot of people, probably, it's probably missed on a lot of people here. Giovinazzi is the first Italian driver in years in Formula One. It used to be you always had two or three Italian drivers in the competition, and you've had nothing now until Giovinazzi. Well, back in the day, you used to have about 50 cars trying to get on the grid and there was more spots open. But as I said, this is this formula, this is modern day Formula One. It goes, it's not just a European sport anymore. It's a global sport. So it's good to see the Italian and Italian back on the grid. It's good to see when they have a lot of the nationalities on the grid. But uh, hopefully that'll mean that he's in the mix for a Ferrari seat down the line. And that's what the Italians love. They'd love to see an Italian back in the red car. Yep. Williams Mercedes, a new look lineup. Lance Stroll no longer at the um, at the team now. Williams have signed AMG Mercedes reserve driver George Russell, um, very talented driver in his own right. He'll take one of the seats. The second one for uh, is up for grabs. So mm. we're gonna let's let's spin the wheel. Let's see who we're gonna end up here. The four nominations at this point: Mizi, Esteban Ocon, Sergio Sorokin, Robert Kubica, and Artem Makelov. It'll be it'll be Kubica. It'll be Robert Kubica, and it's already a it's already pretty much a given. It'll be it'll be him. So of course, making the ferry. T- they, they did mention it in the RBW Grand Prix in the coverage. It, it's basically a movie. It's a Hollywood movie that hasn't raced in six years. Everything that he's gone through, and then to come back to the seat um, in eight years later, that'll be a Hollywood movie. It'll just be interesting to see who can actually play him because I don't maybe Tom Cruise. He's about probably about the only one small enough to be able to to represent him, and but it'll be funny with um to give funny to give Tom Cruise the uh, the Robert Kubica haircut. Yeah, and and, and you got to remember the the, the facial sh- uh, shape as well because mm. Kubica's obviously got a very oval shaped head. So yeah. I mean, we talk about the other drivers in there. Esteban Ocon was expected to take that number one seat until George Russell was um was signed. Up. He was still an option, but you. I mean, well, do we see it? Well, he, he could be there or thereabouts. Obviously, Russell being a, a Mercedes reserve driver, Williams want to build that relationship. They've been struggling at the back of the back of the grid. They need any help they can get. So if they can have someone like George Russell in there 
who's still going to be within the Mercedes setup. And then obviously, if he's going to be around Mercedes, Mercedes want him to go well, that transfers to Williams going well. And Sorokin, obviously, on the outer, he has not really impressed in that Williams, has he? Well, he, he was on hiding to nothing. Both Williams, particularly at the end of the season, were 19th and 20th on the grid. And they're pretty much there as pay drivers. We should let's before we go much further. We should also explain between uh, what what is explain what is a pay driver. Well, pay driver is basically that they pay for their drive. They bring sponsorship and money to the team in order to to have that seat. Teams like Mercedes and and Ferrari have the backing of the of the manufacturer behind them. They have those billions of pounds behind them in order to in order to race. But these smaller teams, they need as bigger budgets as they can find and. That's how they do it. They say, you want that drive? Then you bring the money to the table. Now, Force India, or what used to be known as Force India. India. Well, it's different Force India now. It's something or other Force India. I can't remember what Well, well let's, we'll get to that in a second. Okay. So, But throw the form guide out of the window here. Uh, the big announcement that came through at the end of this year, towards the end of this season, Lawrence Stroll, the father of Lance Stroll, a big time fashion investor, has taken majority shareholding in the team. Uh, Sergio Perez is expected to stay on for next year. It's like he's been there forever and a day in that team, um, especially considering, I've got to say, he's very consistently solid form. Lance Stroll will follow his father and take the number two seat. Now, there is an expectation of a name change under the new management. We don't know what it will look like for next year. They've already, they've, they've been racing under the new the, the new name. This variation on the uh, this variation yeah, on, on the, the Force India. On Force India, they have been racing under this name for since they took over after um, after Sahara um, dissolved yeah. their association. So um, now that they, they've been guaranteed that the team will remain based out of Silverstone, um, but one of the more cynical points that's been brought up with this has been the. Uh, the debate about whether Lawrence is is doing this to protect his own son from uh, from losing a seat within Formula One. Well, that's that's certainly a, a, an option. But I said Lawrence Stroll was bringing the money into Williams, and now he's just doing it into Force India. And I can tell you, the the name, the new name is Racing Point Force India. Racing Point Force India. Yeah, they've been going under that name since they took over in. Um, the later part of the year, but uh, at the at the end of the day, well, I can tell you in two seconds. No, they haven't they haven't got there because, well, um, because I said once once they went into administration, it was basically a brand new team. That's how they had to let them back on the grid. They actually had to have a um a special resolution from the other teams for them in order to keep their pro keep the prize money that was coming towards the team. Yeah, because technically they are a brand new entity that have just bought the assets of the old Force India. So Racing Point Force India, they'll be one. They'll be an interesting one to keep. Lance Stroll he's shown a bit um in the last couple of seasons. He, he hasn't. I wouldn't say he's looked out of place, but uh, I, I expect more out of him. Now, competition changes. Uh, for the first time in years, there is no change to the races or their order. There's consistency in the racing well, calendar. They finally got it. They finally got it right then. But I, I, I don't expect that to last. The seventeenth. It'll start off. Kick off on the seventeenth of March in Melbourne, and will conclude at Yas Marina on the first of December. Uh, now, the, the technical changes we've got is that there'll be changes to the profile of front and rear wings. The biggest change will be the slot in the rear wings, that, which will be wider. Now, what effect is that going to have? Well, it's just basically it's more drag reduction for when they're in normal, normal mode. It, it slows the cars down. 
But what it'll do is with it, with it wider and the DRS will be actually able to open further. So when you see some of those slower cars not being able to overtake some of the quicker cars, even with their DRS open, that's going to give them a massive advantage trying to come up. So it's good to see that the, that the race or that the race, um, that the organization looking after F1 now that they're really starting to think about things like that. And they know that fans want to see more overtaking. They want to see more close racing. And this is a good one. So uh, they've also announced changes regarding bodywork. Um, they're expected to be enacted to improve sponsorship opportunities. This is purely cosmetic in its, yeah. in its appearance. Um, an interesting one, the maximum fuel level is going to be increased from 105 to 110 to minimize the amount of fuel saving going during a race. I like this. I do too. And uh, as I said, you, you, you hear a lot of them having to say, well, I wanted to do this in the race, but they're coasting. They, they'd be in the middle laps, they'd be coasting down the straights and they'd be short shifting for those who don't know. Um, short shifting is basically when you, when it's revving and you see what's cool is you can see the lights on the dashboard come up. When it gets to full power, that's when you should be changing up gears. If you short shift, you obviously go shorter than that top one and, and, sh and change quicker and it saves fuel. So it's going to be interesting to see those. Obviously, the front wings are also not going to be as um, as technical. They're going to have less of the, the little indents or the little wings that are on the front one. They're only be limited to five. Some of the some of the more intricate ones you can see you can have up to 20 different little wings on top of that front wing. So it'll be it'll be good to see that they're making these changes they will they will have an effect on the cars which i think is good but they're using what they've got in order to make it better so they they they've got these things in place and they're not making big changes but they're slowing down the cars a little in order to when we use the nice toys like we've got with the DRS to make them faster so it's going to make racing better now, the driver weights will no longer be considered when measuring the minimum weight of a car. Instead of a driver must weigh at least 80 kilos, or they'll be given ballast to make up the difference. Now, they'll be located around the seat. That's just to even out the fact that, you know, you can have drivers of different sizes and weights, which I think is a fair well, enough move. Well, it's not, we're not horse racing. They're not jockeys. So, yeah. I, I think that's a, that's perfectly good. Said, this is this is the weight, and if you, if you're... Under it. If you're under it, then yeah, you got to put an extra couple of kilos in the car. It's probably probably a few of the Formula Ones would be happy. They might be able to eat dinner for the two days before <laughs> the Grand Prix. Um, now Pirelli will change the lineup of tyres. It's going to go down from seven to three. It's going to be a soft, medium, and hard. It's going to simplify the viewing oh. in terms of what happening is happening with the tyres. But the actual compound softness will be adjusted race to race. So it'll just be a soft, medium. Soft will be in red. Yellow will be medium. White will be hard, but the compounds will actually change here. And for mine, I think it takes a little bit of the uh, the randomness of the strategy away. Well, it doesn't because they're still going to be the same sort of compounds that they use. The hyper soft might be soft for one round or the super soft might be soft for the next round. I think it's a probably a good thing for the more casual fans because when you see seven different tires plus an intermediate plus a wet weather tire you just if you're a casual fan you just sit going a pink tire a purple tire a polka dot tire it's unnecessary for the teams there'll be a heap of strategy because they'll still be the same compounds they'll still be the same as if they were there this season it's just that for the casual fans we're only calling them three i think it's a win Let's go into our final topic, which is going to be the discussion around the uh, the big piece, the 2021 Concord Agreement. This is going to be coming up in a couple of years' time. They're already talking about what it's going to be looking like. Now, it's expected to be the next big change to the Formula One competition. The centerpiece of these changes is often referred to as the Concord Agreement. It's named for the city where the FIA is located, which is, of course, in Concord in the middle of Paris. 
the agreement is often considered the blueprints of where the sport is going for the next few years. And 2021 is expected to be very significant in how it will shape Formula One for the future. It'll be the first agreement under the new owners of Formula One, which is the American consortium, Liberty Media. Well, I said it's a, it's a landmark for F1. Obviously, Bernie Ecclestone was at the helm for a lot of years and a lot of, a lot of critics for Bernie on, on how he controlled F1. So as we've talked about with, with some of the changes we just mentioned, then we can see some of the, the more simplification, whether it's simplification for the team, but simplification for the fans. And we've seen some changes to make cars go a bit faster and have that DRS go a bit faster and, and have that difference there to help improve overtaking and, and make it a more spectacle for the fans. So I'm looking forward to this new agreement because hopefully we'll see some more some more technical changes that will make racing better for the fans. Now, what we should mention before that, unlike what the changes that have occurred for 2019, which tend to be more micro, um, micro yeah. uh, changes, this is macro. This is big picture changes. Can they bring the can they bring the noise back? Can they bring back those engines? That's what I miss the most. You used to hear them coming from a mile away. As soon as they brought those new turbo engines, they sounded so bad. But you've heard them trying to tweak it. Maybe we might get some of the engine noise back from old. That's my wish. That's my wish. Let's see if we Let's can. see what happens. Now we should mention that why did it come about? the Concord Agreements. Of course, the, uh, the the original body, the rules were set by a group called the Commission Sportive Internationale. Um, they were a body that was subordinate to the FIA. Now, this ended up falling apart in 1979 when Bernie Eccleston and Max Mosley um, combined yeah. to really take over Formula One uh, using the Formula One Constructors Association as their, uh, as almost mm. their tool to take over control. Um, these agreements, the Concord agreements, were kept confidential, the first, the second, and the third. Uh, not anymore in, uh, from the fourth agreement in 1997, and this was after Bernie Eccleston had managed to usurp the commercial rights from FOCA to Formula One administration. Of course, mm -hmm. this is the big cultural fight that occurred in 1997 that almost tore the competition apart and required three um, separate agreements to be made. Um, resulting in a payout of close to £90 million a year guaranteed to each of the teams for unanimous support of what ended up being the fifth and the sixth Concord Agreement um, and the formation of the Formula One Teams Association, which replaces the old Constructors um, Association. Now, hasn't really moved far in terms of modernization, updating, especially in the recent Concord yeah. agreements, unless there was money involved. And it's always obviously well, it's business. Yeah. At the end of the day, Formula One's business. It's not. It's not a sport. It's a business. But this next one, mm. this is the big one. This is this has got people talking. Yeah, this is the one. They're Liberty Media. They're going to be coming on board. They're going to be saying. This is what we want for television because we're going to see what it's like after a couple of years. We've had two, three years. We've been able to see how Formula One operates. This is the direction that we want to take the competition. So what will be discussed as part of this? The first one, and this always seems to bring its head up whenever these agreements come up, the establishment of a spending cap. That's always going to be a, a talking point between the haves and the have-nots because there's Mercedes who's going to say, well, no, because we're spending this much. And there's going to be some teams that can't spend that much. So, so it'll be interesting to see how they, and you know, policing it. Can you imagine the NRL salary cap's bad enough? They're going to have to inventory everybody nut and bolt and screw that they're going to have to put through the, the car. I'm all for it. If it's going to create the parity that we want to see in the sport, I'm all for it. But it's going to be hard to police. 
So the, the talk initially is a, an initial spending cap of $250 million. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, you've heard me right. $250 million, a quarter of a billion dollars to run a Formula One team. Do they need a podcast? We can do it for them. We can we'll, 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 be, we'll be within their price range. Oh, I think we could, we could be afforded very easily. Yes. Now, the idea is that it will be dropped by $25 million a year until it reaches $150 million a year where it would stay. So effectively, it will be dropping uh, by $25 million a year for four years until it gets mm. down to $150 million. So, uh, And it will be modelled around an expectation that a team needs 450 heads to function effectively. So I can't have my seven assistants. Quite possibly, no. Damn, well, I'm not going into Formula One then. That, that, that's, that's disappointing. <laughs> yeah. But th- I mean, this is an interesting this is an interesting discussion around mm. this because 150. You got to think a team every year's got to make savings of 25 million dollars, and that's with an expectation that they've got to re- retain 45 heads within that team. Now, if I do some very simple mathematics to go around how much would this actually cost per head, you're looking at an average payment of $333,333 US. I know it's not pounds, but it's US per head in a Formula One team. That's what it's going to go down to. It's not a salary cap on people. It's a salary cap on how much they can spend total. Yeah. So you can imagine it's going to be less than that. Of course, it's going to be much less than that. It's it's going to be the the it's going to be the guy. That, oh, if they're going to pay me that much, I'll go sweep the floor. If they're going to pay me three hundred and thirty thousand dollars a year to sweep the floor, I'll go sweep the freaking but, floor. But could you? But that's what. But that's what they, they they're trying to. There's so many things like that are getting spent, and they try and put the caps on how many how many engines you can use and how many of this you can use, how many transmissions you can use, but to try and save money. But at the end of the day, they're just going to use more and take the grid penalties. I can it's just, there's got to be a different way. There's got to be maybe a control way, like giving the parts as a control. I don't know what the answer is, but trying to keep spending to a limit. And saying you need to have a certain head count to be able to do well, that. That's, what, that's just what they're working on. Yeah. That's just what they're working on to say. Like you could have more and that and still be under your salary cap. It depends how much you, of a tight ass you are to pay them. New regulation around tenders for the competition's tyre supplies. So rumours at the moment that Pirelli are going to face competition from Michelin to become the preferred tyre supplier. And there's also talk of Hankook tyres entering a bid. Well, obviously that's it's the way to get noticed. It's the way to it's the way to. To get your brand name out there, it, it is a sponsorship at the end of the day, and you have all the Formula One cars showing your brand. But uh, I think, um, I think though that what we've got now with um, Pirelli doing the job, I think unless they're going to bring big dollars to the table, they're not. We're not going to have any changes anytime soon. Now, of course, the question of what will the power unit look like? Will we see a continuation of the hybrid turbo era? Will we see a return to the naturally aspirated power units or will we see a move where Formula One moves even closer to Formula E? I think whatever whatever rule change there are, it'll be coming down to admissions. Unfortunately, Formula E have zero emissions because obviously it's all battery power. So I think we'll still see some sort of turbo involved, whether a battery pack becomes involved as well. We can imagine what that would do to some of the horsepower of the, of, of the cars. It would be insane. But at the end of the day, I think the days of the naturally aspirated engines, they're gone. It's it's all going to come down to the admissions and how green they are, they are being in, in um, the competition. That means turbos. Now, how will the commercial rights then be negotiated with the media and how will the spoils from these new rights packages be split out amongst the teams? Of course, 
there was a guarantee that the teams would receive a certain amount of money each year, plus the prizes that would be given for finishing in a certain order within Formula One. But as we see with other sports, sports rely on TV money to be able to fund themselves effectively. And country, it goes country by country in terms of the renegotiation of those of the TV money. Mm. Well, it'd be interesting to see what they can deliver because at the end of the day, they'll, they'll be doing the bright thing for them and um, there'll be the smaller markets like Australia, there'll be the bigger markets in Europe and emerging markets in Asia. Yeah, well, it's where they're coming through. But at the end of the day, it comes through to what money they can get out there. And I think once they know that, that's when they can move forward with everything else. But uh, at the end of the day, it's getting as much money in as possible. Now, there's been suggestion of further changes to occur. These haven't been officially discussed yet, mm. but this is certainly stuff that we're gonna be looking to see if it actually does come up. Uh, first off is the pushing the start of the race an hour later and then having a 10 minutes past the hour rather than on the hour. They did that this year. They already did that. I don't so know they, where you're getting your info from. They well, already did that this they're year. They're talking about pushing it an, 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 another hour back as well. Well, that's so. just crap because it's gone from 10 p.m. to 11 p.m. for most races in Australia. Starting at midnight, I'm going to have to take Mondays off. Now, there's also been debates about whether Bahrain should be a full night race or a twilight race. At, at the end of the day, it'll come down to what time they want to show it in the in the other countries for the way we're going. I mean, we all love watching Singapore at night. It looks absolutely brilliant. And we saw so, Abu Dhabi under lights yeah. as well. It looks amazing. So at the end of the day, if they can, if it if it's right time of the day and they can get the lights there, then go for it. It won't happen in Melbourne though, because the minute you start putting it under the lights, you can imagine there's going to be certain people complaining. Oh, friend, the friends of the F1. The GP friends of track. Albert Park. Oh, don't get me started. Oh dear, oh dear. Um, here's an interesting one here. There's a push for a deal for behind the scenes um, segments with Netflix. Uh, I don't, I don't, uh, uh, documentaries would be great. If it's behind the scenes on race days, it should be an option on your, on your Foxtel package. And of course, this is going to be the, the controversial part, a push away from free to air, except for home races for the nations. Now this has caused a, a lot of controversy as analysts have predicted a loss in TV ratings if it moves to pay TV. Now the classic example is what's happening um, in the US for, and the UK. Formula One now shown all year round on Sky Sports, except for the British Grand Prix, which is shown on BBC. In Australia, it's all on Fox, on Fox Sports. Now, how would this fit in with the anti-siphoning laws that have already been tested with the recent changes in cricket broadcasting? I think with Australia, you've seen it's all on Fox, uh, Channel 10, and and they'd be about the only ones who would be willing to show it on free to air, and they don't get the money out of it. It's not on a, it's not on at a right time of day to, to attract sponsors. So at the end of the day, if they're losing money, they're losing money. Let Foxtel have it. And, and we've seen, we've actually seen how well Foxtel's broadcasting has actually been so um, so this year. Well, I love I've it. actually enjoyed it. I love it. There's no ad breaks. You got you got the you've got the you've got the good the Sky Sports commentary team. Um, if you if you got access to Foxtel, happy days for you. If you don't, well, you might have to think rethink your subscription. Well, that's it from Splinters. Thank you very much for joining us on our investigation and discussion into the 2019 Formula One season. 
Uh, we look, we will look to update this when we come into next year when we get a little bit more news. So I want to thank the wise one, Matt Mears, for joining joining us for Splinters tonight. I'm not a guest, but it's been good to be here. I look forward to the 2019 the, preview of the F1 season. Lord Manus will say you're a guest. You're always a guest. Oh, here, so. I'll be dealing with the Lord Manus myself. Make, Just you watch out. Make sure you join us again on Splinters and our feature show, of course, The Bench, 6 p.m. on Friday nights on Triple H 100.1 FM, streaming live on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au. Until next time, it's bye for now. <laughs> <laughs>